Amen. Good to be with you today. Uh, thanks for praying for Anne. She's coming along and showing a little improvement every day after her back surgery, but she really appreciates all your kind thoughts and, and your prayers. And then today, um, Pastor Jerry's son Garrett and his wife Jillian are at the hospital getting ready to deliver Jerry's first grandchild. And I told them, this is when life begins. Nothing, <laughs> nothing before can compare to this. So keep them in prayer. Garrett, as a baby, was born after like 40 hours of labor. He's like super mellow. So, you know, they're probably in it for the long haul, but keep them in prayer just the same. Well, you can turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 17. We're moving through the book of 1 Samuel, and there are several chapters in, I mean, 2 Samuel, I'm sorry. There are several chapters in here that I would just as soon not teach on. But the discipline of teaching through the Bible, as we do, going, taking a book and taking one chapter each week, it forces us to deal with some challenging, you know, situations that actually are very beneficial for us if we force ourselves to go there. And so that's what we're doing. This, as we come to chapter 17, you know, we've seen that there's this rebellion of David's son Absalom wanting to become king and basically chasing David out of Jerusalem. Really, David would not sit there and fight his own son. And so he had left and fled. You know, there were, there were a lot of things that led up to it. David hadn't been the greatest dad, certainly. And when there was a molestation in the family and then a killing, and he kind of didn't want to deal with any of it. He was just all like uh, basically ignoring it. And his son Absalom, who was really outgoing, friendly, a real extrovert, was having a hard time with the way his dad was and the way he had been even treated by being marginalized for years. So finally, Absalom decides it's time for me to be king. And so as he kind of declared war on his dad, his dad chose to take off with a lot of his people. He had left, as you remember, 10 of his concubines to take care of the house Well, while David you know, took off. Now, Absalom is trying to figure out, what do I do next? He doesn't, he's like a, um, an Instagram model. He's like really good looking, but he's, you know, not, not really sharp. And so, so he has Ahithophel giving him advice. Ahithophel was a super smart guy. He was one of David's closest advisors and best friends. But by this time, Ahithophel had got fed up with David, probably because David, what David did with Bathsheba in killing her husband and taking her as a wife, one of his wives, Ahithophel was the grandfather of Bathsheba. And so he probably is like, I get you doing it to other people. I didn't think you'd do it to my granddaughter. And so, you know, he was probably bitter and had quit. So Absalom thought, I need somebody who can think. And who better than Ahithophel? He knows my dad. He knows the way government works. And he hates my dad. So He'll like me, and this will work out. So they formed this kind of partnership where Ahithophel was giving him advice. And one of the first pieces of advice Ahithophel gave Absalom was one of the worst ideas ever, where he said, you know, you want to start acting like a king. 
So let me suggest to you that, you know, your dad left 10 of his concubines there to take care of the house. You should go in there and you should, should um, you know, ha- cohabit, have sexual relations with all 10 of them up on the roof of the house where everyone can see. You know, what could possibly go wrong with that? It's something that the law says you get the death penalty if you do something like that. But Ahithophel, so, you know, he's like, believe me, this will really draw a line in the sand, and it would. It would certainly make it unlikely that they could then say, maybe we should get together and talk and see how we can work all this out. No, you, you laid it down there, and we're, we're going at it. So he got him into this mess, Ahithophel did, And now as we come to chapter 17, Absalom's like, I'm not a king. I don't know. What do I do now? My dad's still alive, so he's technically the king. There are people that like him, but boy, a lot of people around me say I'm really cool too. And he's wanting to know what the next step is. So he goes again to Ahithophel, and he says, so what do we do next? And not even realizing that Ahithophel's advice had really not done him a great service before. And again, it isn't because Ahithophel is dumb. He's very smart. But his advice lines up in a way that we will see where it ends up culminating in this chapter. But we'll go to verse 1, chapter 17. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Okay, here's what we do next. Let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and weak and make him afraid, and all the people who are with him will flee, and I will strike only the king. I'll go after him. Everybody's going to run. It's just me and David. I'm going to kill him. And then everybody else will rally around me, as he says. I'll bring back all the people to you, and when all return, except the man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace. Everybody will live happily ever after. And the saying pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. They're all like, yeah, great idea. Oh, yeah, great idea. You take a small army to go after an experienced warrior who is surrounded by mighty men of valor who have have learned how to fight out in the wilderness and you're some, you know, nerd and you're going to lead the way and you think that you can kill David because he's tired? You don't know anything about what you're talking about. That's what they should have said. They should have said, Ithafel, you really think that you can take David? Are you that delusional? Look, you, you know, if you, if you think that somehow a guy without experience can take out somebody who's experienced, it doesn't work that way. It's why if you're, if you're at a sporting event and fights break out, always bet on the old guy. You'll see some young, buffed guy mouthing off, drinking too much, and some old, fat guy just beats a tar out of them. Because like old guys, they've fought for a lot of years. And the other thing about old guys is, they don't really care if they bleed. They're like, I've bled before. So he's like, oh no, I know I got this. I got, you know, I, I, I had, I, I had, well, you know, I went to karate class. I've never really fought with a real person, but yeah, I got it. And they're like, good idea. 
So everybody thought it was a great idea, but then Absalom was smart enough to say in verse 5, now call Hushai the archguide also and let us hear what he says too. Absalom knows he's not that smart. He knows Ahithophel is, but he's probably already thinking, I'm still having second thoughts about that doing the 10 concubines on the roof stunt. Um, So maybe I ought to get Hushai's advice. Hushai was the guy that was a a huge advisor to David, probably after Ahithophel had got disgusted and left. And so Hushai was now kind of working as a spy for David in a way. He was loyal to David, but David told him, go back there and help and then keep me posted on what's going on. So he's not, at the same time, Hushai's advice ends up certainly being at least better than the advice of Ahithophel. But so he goes, let's get a second opinion. So let's see what he says. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him and said, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner. He said, he wants to go and he'll kill David himself, bring all the armies back and everybody will live happily ever after. Shall we do as he says? If not, speak up. We're thinking this sounds great, but we just want a second opinion. Does that sound great? And Hushai said to Absalom in verse 7, the advice that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. I mean, he's being kind of nice about it. He's like, I'm not sure this is the right time to do that. I mean, he could have easily said, it's a stupid idea from start to finish, but instead he's like, you know, I don't know if this is really the time to do it. For, said Hushai, you know your father and his men, that they are mighty men, and they are enraged in their minds, like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. And your father is a man of war and will not camp with the people. Surely by now he is hidden in some pit, some other place, and it'll be when some of them are overthrown at the first. Whoever hears it will say, there's a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom, and even he who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt completely, for all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and those who are with him are valiant men. Therefore, I advise, and he goes ahead with his idea. So he looks at Ahithophel's idea and he goes, problem is, man, don't underestimate the power of an aging warrior. And he's surrounded by guys who are experienced. They've been warriors all their lives. And so, you know, you come and if they just, you know, get angry and they kill a couple of people, all these guys who aren't normally soldiers, they're, they're you know, you just recruited them just now. And then you have Ahithophel. I don't want to say anything against him, but can you compare his experience as a warrior when he was fighting the battles of academia to, you know, somebody who's been on a, on a battlefield their whole life. And so he goes, yeah, I don't think that's a good time, but here's an idea. He said, therefore, I advise that all Israel be fully gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba. In other words, you shouldn't try this until you have the entire nation behind you. Now, we know Hushai was a friend and a fan of David's, and so, you know, Partly, he probably knew that there was a whole lot of people in Israel that wouldn't side with Absalom at this point. David was still a very popular man. They had memories of him. He was still their king. And, but he said, 
you should gather everybody together from all over the country and from like the sand that's by the sea for multitude and then you go to battle in person. In other words, Ahithophel leading the way? No, you want to be king? You need to lead this thing. And you're going to need a lot more soldiers than this in order to do it. So, you know, again, Hushai's advice is probably still better than Ahithophel's, but at the same time, he wants David to win, and so that maybe clouds it a little bit. So he says, we'll come upon him in some place where he may be found, and we'll fall on him as the dew falls on the ground, and of him and all the men who are with him, there shall not be left so much as one. He goes, you'll lead the way, and you'll slaughter all of his people, because you'll outnumber them so greatly. Moreover, if he has withdrawn into a city, then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city, and we will pull it into the river until there's not one small stone found there. So, verse 14, Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The advice of Hushai, the archite, is better than the advice of Ahithophel. For the Lord had purposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. So they thought, Absalom leading a whole bunch of soldiers is a better idea than Ahithophel leading a few soldiers without making good plans, without preparation. So they go, this, Hushai's advice is better. Now then, as you read on from verse 15 on down, um, Hushai then sends some spies from the temple to go tell David, hey, here's what's going on. You guys need to book it across the Jordan, get out in the wilderness, because David knew what it was like to live in the wilderness, and that would be the safest place for him. And in a way, Hushai was buying him some time by trying to tell him, take time and gather troops from all over the country. So he's kind of playing both sides. But, you know, even though his advice was better than Ahithophel's, neither one of them had a great chance of success against David. Because, you know, if you have a a nerd leading the army, or if you have an Instagram model leading the army, you're kind of in trouble against experienced soldiers anyhow. But he's trying to, he gives them the advice, and they thought it was good. So then he leaks it, and you can read through these verses that... um, down in verse 21 where it says, They told King David and said to David, Arise and cross over the water quickly, for thus has Ahithophel advised against you. So David and all his people who were with him arose and crossed over the Jordan. By morning light, not one of them was left who had not gone over the Jordan. So, And you can read the story of these spies. People were hiding them. There were a lot of people who were still behind David. So they're looking for these spies, but... There were some people that had them hide down in their well, and you know it's an interesting adventure if you if you read the whole thing through. But I want to get through the chapter, so I'm not going to read all of it. So here's this dilemma: only two suggested opportunities. Now it's going to take, and ironically, even though they said that the advice was better when it came from Hushai, they still didn't actually take his advice. Because all Absalom heard is, I should lead rather than Ahithophel. And they just take off right away. And you'll see 
that in the rest of the chapter, you'll see that ultimately a lot of the people living in these little cities were helping David, supporting him, giving him food and, and transportation and all kinds of stuff. He, people still loved David. So this wasn't going to go well, even if you know he, Absalom had waited long enough to get enough soldiers to even make a run at it. But what I really want you to focus your attention on is this mysterious verse 23. It's kind of weird that after they heard two opinions, they picked one, Ahithophel, they didn't take his advice. In verse 23, when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and arose. (laughs) Can you imagine a guy riding a donkey going to attack David? But he got on a donkey and he arose and it said that uh, um, he went home to his house, to his city, and then he put his household in order. An interesting phrase, it's only used here in the scripture, but we use it a lot in literature, usually referring to get your house in order before you go and tell somebody else how to live. But in this case, it was something very specific and very tragic. He put his household in order, and he hanged himself, and he died. And he was buried in his father's tomb. And then David took off, was supported, and Absalom's leading an army ultimately to his own doom in the next chapter. But this guy, Hithophel, if, if you read commentaries, a lot of times even if you hear pastors preaching on this, the understanding is, okay, why did Hithophel kill himself? Just because they didn't take his advice? He's not a fool. Ahithophel, there was something more going on with Ahithophel than just the fact, well, fine, if you don't want my advice, I'm going to go kill myself. I don't think that's what it was. There was something going on in Ahithophel that, first of all, if you go back to the previous chapter, he has this great idea of Absalom defiling these, these royal women in public, thus bringing death penalty on yourself, thus making David so mad that he's not going to have sympathy for you anymore? What kind of an idea was that? It was almost a suicidal idea, even at that. He was, he was a bitter guy. You can maybe understand why he was. But then his idea of, you know what? Here's my plan. I'm going to lead the way, and I'm going to kill David. You know, that's not a plan. That's suicide. That's him wanting to die doing something because he wanted to die. The reason why he ends up going home and killing himself was because in every way possible, he had wanted to die. And it seemed like he couldn't even pull that off. He would have liked to die a hero, but he couldn't do it. You know, a lot of times, one time I was talking to a girl who told me that she was gonna kill herself and she wanted to die. And I go, can I make a suggestion? I said, I'll give you a one-way ticket to Afghanistan, and you can go there and just start preaching the gospel on the streets, and you'll die, and then you'll be a hero. They'll be writing books about you, making movies about you, and everything else. And she ended up not killing herself, which is good. But Ahithophel, like nothing that he was doing, gave him the opportunity to do what he really wanted to do, which was to die. And I don't, you know, you can look at it and go, well, his his dear friend, his king, his leader, his boss, had defiled his granddaughter. 
So would that make you this upset? I don't know, you know, you could look at it and go, she was married to a Gentile. Now she's the queen. Now she has a chance for her son to actually become the next king of Israel. So yeah, too bad about her ex, but this hasn't, this isn't all that bad. You could easily argue with him and say, should you really be that bitter against David? Now, yeah, I know you thought David would never do something like that to somebody like you. And people who are loyal to powerful people always, they never, they always underestimate the ability of power to corrupt people. And so as a result, they're like, I expected David to do stuff like that, but not to one of my relatives. But it was complicated. But the real thing is, as we look at it, why do people take their own lives? It happens all the time. We've all been affected by it. I'm sure we all know people who have chosen to kill themselves. And every time we're like, why'd you do that? that if I could have only talked to you, or if I only could have you know, explained, or what, how can you be so selfish? And personally, I don't believe that people kill themselves because they're selfish. I don't think they kill themselves because they want to hurt somebody else. Their perspective is different than that. Now, it's really true that when people take their own life, when they decide not to live anymore, to be or not to be, as Shakespeare wrote in Hamlet, that's the question. When somebody decides to answer that question in that way, there's something to it, there's a reason behind it. In some way, life has so disappointed a person that they then think that the most logical option for them is to stop the pain by ending it all. And so, I mean, by the way, suicide is not prevalent at all in impoverished countries where everyone kind of lives the same way in the jungle. They don't kill themselves because they have really low expectations. They just hope when they wake up tomorrow, they can find food for their family. But it's the more complex society becomes, the more likely it is that you have a sense of, I thought this was going to happen, and now I'm disappointed. Now, it's easy to go, oh, Ahithophel, you know, he lost, he couldn't handle it, he was weak. And you can do that with anyone who takes their own life. But I want to suggest to you that Ahithophel was in some kind of pain that you don't really know what he was feeling and what he was suffering. And that's true of everyone who takes their own life. There's a level of pain that we cannot look at it logically and comprehend it completely. And that's kind of scary, but it's very, very true. Um, I I love uh, in Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl, who... Man's Search for Meaning is just an amazing book, but uh, Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist and a philosopher, and uh, he was also a Holocaust survivor. And he talks about pain, and he said, everyone has a different threshold of pain. Everyone has a different level of pain, and it doesn't always function in a way that's logical. He said, for instance, I watched... As I was in a concentration camp, I watched my wife taken and put in the gas chambers. I watched my father killed by the Nazis. 
I saw all of those people all around me dying. But he said, I didn't feel as much pain as a 13-year-old girl who, when her boyfriend breaks up with her, she kills herself. He says, do you understand that something that you could look on as trivial, she must be experiencing pain in a deeper way than I did. And I think, I mean, you can think about that for a long time, and you can disagree with it for a while, but you're going to come to the conclusion, it's true. I can't know what you are feeling. And that's why I think it's so important for us to look at Ahithophel and just go, whatever the source of it was, however this went down, this was not simply a guy being selfish. This was not simply one of the smartest men in Israel saying, well, you hurt my feelings. Now I'm going to take my ball and go home. No, he was in abject pain. You saw it developing with his horrible ideas as to how to get out of this, and he didn't know how to deal with that pain. And that's true of anyone who comes to the point where they would take their own life. And if we don't understand that, then we will look at them and go, we, we talk about people like that who are selfish. We talk about them who are superficial. We talk about them as if they just didn't care. Or if, they, if I could have only talked to them, I could have convinced them. And it's way more complex than that. Humanity is more complex than that. Emotions are more complex than that. And so you have a guy like Ahithophel that does this. Now, the irony is this whole thing of, you know, he went home to his house and he put his household in order. People can actually believe that when they take their life, they're actually making their household a better place. They convince themselves that this is for the sake of everyone else. And, you know, they legitimately, if anyone would really understand what the hurt and the pain that they cause to others when they take their life, they can't because they're so wrapped up in their own pain that they just can't even imagine that. And it's easy for them to just think, truth is, man, everyone will be better off when I'm out of here. They'll forget me very quickly, and they'll have my life insurance. You know, and that's what people think. But the truth is, no, you hurt somebody in a way that that hurt will never go away. But it's, it's not intentional. It's that actually somebody can believe that people will be better off without them. And so in the case of Ahithophel, he thought by tidying up the house, he was making it a better place. Not so. But man, it, this touches us all the time if we have our eyes open. I would, first of all, encourage you to not just buy into the, yeah, Ahithophel was selfish, didn't get his way, so he went and killed himself. What a jerk. No, can we look at him and say, he was experiencing pain that I haven't experienced. And I'm not going to judge somebody for their pain. Make no mistake about it. Suicide is never the best choice. Suicide is never a good thing for everyone. At the same time, I think we have to respect that somebody is in a particular situation. They're feeling what they're feeling, and you just can't magically take that away from them. But do you understand that, I mean, there are people who talk about killing themselves all the time. Those aren't the ones who usually do it unless 
it's accidental. They expect somebody to find them, and then they don't. But do you realize how many people around you are in incredible pain? And the more pain they feel, probably the less obvious they are about it. And so our lives, to a huge degree, are opportunities for us to be there and validate somebody's pain and be understanding of them, not jump to conclusions and categorize them and, and you know, call them selfish and self-absorbed. And, well, if you would just you know, do what I do, you'd be fine. You know, I used to feel just like you, and now I'm fine. It's true. There, sometimes people who want to die will end up not. I, my mom, for, for a whole year one time, she was trying to kill herself every day. And I was begging her not to. And she was locked up in a hospital and trying to jump off the roof of the hospital. It was crazy. And then after that, the rest of her life, she wasn't really suicidal at all. So there are people around you that you just don't know. And I think this story should help us to at least be aware that I can't judge someone else's pain. I can only accept that they are in pain because everyone's pain is different. And I, after I read, the first time I read Viktor Frankl saying that about the 13-year-old girl, I go, it's true. <laughs> I have not felt that. So what she went through hurts. You don't judge pain based on everyone voting and saying, well, yeah, that's, that's definitely worth ending your life for. You can deal with what's in your own heart. And as Christians who love people, who want to encourage people, we need to be sensitive to the people around us because some of them may be struggling in some way that you can't imagine. And when you talk to someone who hurts, don't argue with them and explain to them why they shouldn't hurt. Accept their pain. Accept that this is just what they are feeling. But you need to understand too, if you're a person who's experiencing pain, putting your household in order, the only way for your house to be in order is for you to be a part of it, for you to be in it. There isn't any way ever that you being gone is going to make your family better off, your friends better off, your church better off, your town better off. It's always a delusion to believe that somehow, if I'm not here, things are just going to be way easier Talk to the many people who have suffered, you know, the suicide of a loved one before you think maybe that's your solution. Because getting your house in order is a good idea. The best way to get your house in order is to get your life together, is to do the best you can with your life, is to be honest with somebody about what you're feeling. And if somebody's honest enough to tell you, and it's a, a huge privilege if somebody tells you this, you know, I'll be honest with you. And I'm not saying this from, I've never... I've never felt like killing myself. I, I feel like killing other people all the time. But, <laughs> but if somebody ever starts to say something like that, don't talk them out of it. Let them know that you understand what great pain they must be in. That's what being a part of somebody else's life really means. For me, this chapter and this story, um, I'm kind of haunted by and I. And I've, many times, may, I don't know if you go back in old tapes when I taught on this passage, I may have bought into the whole notion that, yeah, he was just such a selfish guy that they, he didn't get his way and he stomped his foot and went home and killed himself. 
People don't kill themselves because they're selfish. People don't kill themselves because they don't get their way. It's a pain that's way more complex than that. And us ignoring it doesn't make it go away. Us arguing doesn't help. The truth is, people are able to do that if, if it's what they choose to do. I would, and there are people that I've tried to counsel and they ended up taking their life. And it's horrible. It hurts me terribly. But, you know, I can just look back and go, I tried to respect where they were coming from. I, I, try, I didn't tell them, you know, you do that, you're going to go to hell, which is a lie. You know, anybody who's killing themselves isn't in their right mind. God's not going to punish somebody with hell because they weren't in their right mind. That doesn't make sense. But the Catholics started that doctrine just to try to keep people from killing themselves. But at the same time, I want to be somebody who, if I run into an Ahithophel as he's coming home on his donkey, I would go, hey, you want to talk? Man, it must hurt to go through what you've gone through. And that's an opportunity that we all have. Please don't ever believe that how you feel doesn't matter. Please understand, there are a lot of other people who feel your pain. Maybe not the people in your life, maybe not the people you wish would feel it, but but there are people who have felt what you felt. And we want to validate that, but we also want to be there and understand and let people know that life is really valuable, it's precious. And it's, it never is reasonable to take your own life, but it's very real. Feelings, how, what we experience, they're all messed up. But if we, can be, if we can be somebody who saw Ahithophel going off by himself and said, hey, you, know, you want to get a cup of coffee? Talk about this? It could have changed history. In a lot of ways. Sure, maybe David would have ended up killing him anyway, but you know, probably not. The kind of guy David was, I gotta believe at any point this could have been you look at the way he mourns Absalom after Absalom died, it's like there's a better way. But this is real. This is something that I think we have to accept and understand. And when it comes to ourselves, be honest and let somebody hear how we feel. Don't just suffer alone and then think. Maybe, maybe the place would be better off without me. Your home won't be in order unless you're in it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and for this painful story. And guy who was a good man, smart guy, loyal guy, who just felt a pain that even to this day, a lot of people read this story and they do not understand how much he hurt. Help us to be aware of the people around us and help us, those of us who may be feeling pain that we can't express or explain or understand or we judge ourselves for even feeling the way that we do. Help us to understand that we are never alone, that you are always with us, that Jesus, the word of God tells us that you experienced and were tempted with everything as we are, yet without sin. So I have to believe that you, as our high priest, must have also felt the deep pain that makes someone not want to be here anymore. And yet you didn't give in to that. So Lord, 
Help us to be wiser. Help us to be more compassionate. And help us when we, when we feel like we're alone. Help us to look for people to be with that won't make us feel so alone. Thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.